Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Something's different this week, Corey. Any guesses? Fall is in the air. The first hints of winter are starting to peek their head. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, I brought my notes on a piece of paper this uh, time. Oh, yeah. I did actually notice that. That was interesting. Yeah. Usually, we have our notes from research we've done on our phones or a computer. Um, yep. But I went old school today. Piece of paper. That's nice. Yeah. You gonna keep doing it? Mm, we'll see how well it works out. Okay, I can't read my own handwriting, so it's kind of a problem. Putting it out on the phone is, you know, I have, I like took a handwriting course online to try and fix it, and there was like minor improvements. Probably the issue was that you took the course online. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like type in your handwriting. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. My handwriting has just always been really terrible and i think it's a well i don't know i feel like it's a left brain thing i'm just not a creative person anyway doesn't matter but it's plagued me my whole life <laughs> well we all have our cross to bear <laughs> we're digging into my vulnerabilities <laughs> here so last week we talked about shelter um the last few weeks we've kind of gone through those three super important life-sustaining pillars right food water shelter and i think uh, this week we decided we need to interject and before we go on to some of the other pillars let's have another look at community right take the opportunity to go a little bit deeper with some principles around community some ideas around how to start building a community where you're at and we can kind of loosely build this around food water and shelter which are those life sustaining pillars so um, after this episode, we'll continue on, you know, um, introducing each of the pillars separately. But today, I think it's just a great opportunity to continue on this this one really important part of the podcast, a super important part of resilience, which is building community. Yeah, and I think it's so important. I don't want us to wait until we get 40 or 50 or 100 episodes down the road and then say, okay, now let's talk about community. I think we need to sprinkle it in all throughout so that as we're all working on, you know, taking care of ourselves with, with water or food or shelter or whatever it is, we're also factoring in the community aspect because like we talked about from the start, that's what really makes somebody resilient. You can go get all of the gear and the skills and have everything you need 
in an isolated scenario and you won't be nearly as resilient as if you just had the right kind of connections and network you had built an, enough community and if you can do all those other things along the way that's when you really become resilient yeah it's inner it's interlocking right it's you have to have the personal side of it you can't just completely rely on a community if you haven't done any of it on your own you're not going to be of any help to anyone else right part of being in a community is being helpful to others and expecting help in return if if you haven't built up any supply of water if you haven't figured out how to get any sort of food storage or any continuous supply of food for yourself um, if if you don't have proper shelter you know if, if you haven't done the groundwork then the community side is not going to be as helpful. So it is both important to do the stuff that you need to do for yourself and work on mastering that, while at the same time you're also allowing yourself to um, to reach out and be of help to your community, build up community, whether that is on the small neighborhood scale, right, or personal communications, personal relationships, or whether it's with your larger, wider community, um, but it all has its own place and you have to make sure you're paying enough attention and time and energy, putting that all into the right, the right pieces. Okay. Well, when we're talking about community, primarily we're talking about relationships and we've talked about this whole idea of a bullseye, right? That like you are at the center. And then as you go one ring out, it's like your closest family members and friends, you go another ring out and it's maybe the people that aren't quite as close to you all the way out to, you know, maybe it's people that you only, briefly interact with or only have some sort of connection with or you're all part of like an online forum or something right so but at every one of those stages or every one of those rings it, there's some form of connection or relationship that's what community is all about my wife got her bachelor's degree in uh, marriage and family relationships and then she got her master's degree in that and she taught some community classes <laughs> Uh, like she would go to high school, she would go to jails, she would go to different places that she was assigned and she would teach how to build healthy relationships. And the curriculum that she taught around was called the relationship attachment model. And it was primarily focused on like dating relationships, right? And, and how to build a relationship with somebody who is like a life partner. But the whole idea is that there are five different aspects and they're in a very specific sequence. And each of those aspects should be higher than the next. So uh, they are know, like to know somebody, K-N-O-W, um, trust, rely, commit, and then the last one is touch. So the idea is you shouldn't ever trust somebody more than you know them. You shouldn't ever rely on somebody more than you can trust them. You shouldn't ever commit to somebody more than you can rely on them, right? And so um, if we just look at those first four, and you can put that in the context of any relationship that you have, anyone around you, family members, friends, um, neighbors, it's like you should get to know somebody to a certain degree in order for you to put that level of trust in them. And, and you should get to that point where you can trust them before you're actually relying on them. And you should have enough trust and reliance before you're actually committing to anything. So I think this is especially helpful as you're thinking in the context of resilience, 
Like, what do I need from somebody else and what do they need from me? How much should I be relying on them? How much should they be relying on me? And if you're trying to build kind of a network of people that you can rely on when times get tough, well, you can't just like suddenly rely on them. You have to have enough trust there. And that comes from knowing them well enough that you can trust them. Yeah, you've used this, uh, you used this in the last episode we did on community. And I really love the the idea, the framework, the, that way of thinking about it. Because the way society works right now, that is all out of whack, right? Like, I think the big one is rely. We rely on people we don't see, we don't know, we've never met, right? Across the world for our survival every day. That's just the way our society works. In order for my, we've, we've talked about this, right? For our food or our water or whatever resources we need to survive, we don't know necessarily where that's coming from and we rely on institutions, uh, individuals, governments, whatever it is um, that we don't know or necessarily trust, right? Um, Our podcast on collapse is all about how we just simply don't trust the system that we're living in because it's not sustainable. Um, So when we talk about building something that is sustainable, on a local community level, keeping those four things in mind, I think is going to be absolutely essential. And not just, like you said, it's not just about having those four things in place. It's making sure that they are building on each other. Um, You have to have that knowledge about somebody before you can trust them and and so on. When it comes to trust, um, I think there's a lot of questions around this, especially in the sort of prepper community, right? Um, And there's a lot of mistrust and people are always very guarded about everything. Uh, All their knowledge, the fact that they are um, in the the preparation sphere, like they just, they try and isolate themselves and keep that secret from everybody. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that we should not trust out there. And you certainly don't want to just make that information available to anyone and go around flaunting it. Because, yes, there are people who will probably take advantage of you and and that type of thing. But that's why it's so important to build trust and not build that trust uh, beyond how well you know somebody. I could walk around in the street and just be like, hey, I trust you with some really important information and give away that information. And you have like, you're not just going to give your social security number to a stranger in the street, but I will give it to my wife. Right. And and the same goes with, with preparation. Uh, As you are building relationships with the people around you and you're trying to, you know, create a more solid community foundation. Let's say you have a next door neighbor who's just moved in you're probably not going to, or you probably shouldn't go over and introduce yourself as, Hey, I'm Corey. I'm into resilience and preparation. I have two years worth of food storage in my basement and, you know, like go off on all of that stuff. By the way, I don't have two years of food storage, but uh, I wish I did. But you might eventually talk to that person about that, but you have to make sure first that you know them well enough you have gained their trust and you trust them before divulging certain types of information. I think it is absolutely valuable for the people that you know and love and trust to know about your preparation and your resilience. Um, because those are the people that you are going to want to be able to help if the time ever comes and it's ever required. 
Um, and then, then, of course, there are certain people that you don't want to know that because you can't trust them with that information. So anyway, it's it's not a hard and fast rule to just say you should keep all of your preps secret. The, everything should just be guarded and withheld. You just have to be selective about who you're trusting that information with and the reasons why you are entrusting them with that information. Yeah, well said. And when it comes to getting to know people to the degree that you can trust them and then rely and have any sort of level of commitment. Um, I think that's where as a society, we struggle a little bit, especially like in our modern day and age, people just, they're like, how do I get to know anybody? We're all just so isolated. Everyone's doing their own thing. A lot of people work remotely. People aren't really as into like community events or clubs or even religious activities or whatever it is that used to be a part of, of society in the past. So you might be thinking, where do I even start? And that's where I think it'd be worth getting into some really practical things here. Um, there's a book that's called influence and it's primarily meant for like teaching persuasion techniques. And what I don't like about it is that it, it can fall into the realm of like manipulation, right? There are certain persuasion techniques. Um, the book even calls them compliance devices, but there is one that I think is really important to understand. And it's just the, the concept of reciprocation. So, um, one note that I had here is this honored network of indebtedness is found in every culture. Some even claim it is one of the distinct attributes that makes us human. There is something just hardwired into us that if we do something for somebody else, they feel some level of obligation to do it, you know, to do something back for us. Yeah. Before, before money existed, it, it was social debt that was used, right? It wasn't necessarily tallied up. There wasn't a ledger saying I did this for somebody else and now they owe me something of equivalent value. But there was an overall sense feeling of social debt. You gave to the community and you received, right? Or you gave to specific people and you received. And there was just an understanding of that give and take that, w that lacks today. Yeah. Well, and there's... There's still like if you go against this kind of social rule, there are stigmas against that. Like if, if somebody does something for you and you don't reciprocate, you might be considered a moocher, right? Or an ingrate or you, you just are lazy or whatever it is. And so as a, as a society, we still hold to this sort of value and you'll see it in a couple different places. So. Um, they've done some studies and I've seen that if like a waiter or a waitress, if they give you mints at the end of your meal, then they're more likely to get tips back. And there's even some interesting things like if they act like they forgot, but they walk away and they, they say, oh, I forgot. And they come back and give you one. Then the tip is even going to be bigger. Um, you'll see things like if, you know, if you get invited to something you typically feel obligated to invite that person back. Right. Free samples at grocery stores. You'll see uh, another example is sales reps that will like give you a pen or a water bottle or something. And then you feel this obligation to, to sign on the dotted line. So 
Anyways, it's something, like I said, that can be used as a manipulation technique, and I don't want this to be taken that way. But I do think the concept of reciprocation is really useful when you are just trying to get to know people and build some sort of a connection there. So as an example, maybe you have a garden and you go to your neighbor and you say, hey, I've got more tomatoes than I can use, or I've got more zucchini or whatever than I can use. Uh, would you like some? Now, just doing that alone breaks down some barriers. First of all, it's a really good excuse to be like, hey, we haven't met. Uh, I, you know, I don't even know your name, but we had some extra zucchini. If you want some, here's some. We've got more than we can use. Uh, by the way, you know, my name is Kellen. What's your name? And you can start up a conversation. Normally, to just go knock on somebody's door and say, what's your name? It it can feel a little bit awkward. Yeah. But this gives you a little bit of an excuse to just start to get to know somebody. Second of all, I hope if you do something like this, that you just do it out of generosity. Like, I, you, you shouldn't expect them to then do something in return for you. Um, hopefully, you just do it. You You want them to have whatever you're giving away. And you feel good about that. It gives you an excuse to get to know them. You're not expecting anything in return. But a side benefit is they probably will if they have a little bit of extra. You know, they might think, oh, I'll take it over to that neighbor who brought me something. And you start to build a little bit of that connection. You know, I um, I was riding my bike today and I I popped a tire. My, my front tire went flat. And... I started walking it. I had a ways to go still um, before I was going to get to my destination. And somebody stopped. And without even like he just he, he pulled in front of me in his car. Um, he flipped down his tire rack that he had in the back. He looked at me, gave me the thumbs up and he came over and just grabbed the bike and put it up on there. Like He didn't ask me a single question. He just showed that, like, I'm going to help you because I can tell that you need it, right? And, I, you know, I just was, like, blown away by his kindness. Um, when we got we got talking. It turns out he was headed home. His home was, like, 20 minutes away. He saw me, flipped around, came back, and then took me 20 minutes the other direction or 10 minutes the other direction. I mean, he probably took, in the end, he probably took 45 minutes out of his day to help me. And, um, I mean, just extremely generous person. So nice, struck up a great conversation, you know, on the drive while he, he took me to where I was going. He, um, at, at the end of the conversation, he said, Hey, stop. Like I'm a baker. Um, I bake bread, stop by my place of work sometime. And like, I'll give you a loaf of bread. Why would he, why would he offer me that? He had no, I should be the one. Right. But now I feel not only number one, super grateful. And I feel like I've made a friend in this person, right? Who was willing to go out of his way to help me. Um, but if I ever do see him again or deal with him again in the future, there's sort of an automatic like trust built there because he went out, out of his way to be extra kind and friendly and generous with his time and energy. Um, and I feel that sort of sense to reciprocate. Now, whether it's reciprocating that back to him or the next time I see somebody walking their bike because it looks like they might have a flat 
to go out of my way to be more generous and more helpful, right? So I know it doesn't relate directly to what you've just said, but sort of that that reciprocity, um, it starts to build a sense of community, even if it's not a direct reciprocation back to that person, but just to other people in, in in, in my surrounding area, the act of giving somebody your extra tomatoes doesn't mean they're going to come back to you and give you three zucchinis um, because that's equivalent to the five tomatoes you gave them. But it, it just might mean that they realize, hey, like if I have excess in my garden, I should be giving this away more. And whether it's back to you or back to another neighbor or whatever, suddenly you've got a little more movement in the conversations being struck up in the generosity in the kindness in that uh, in that sense of needing to or wanting to help each other yeah and and i think it direct, it relates very well and honestly it's just a principle of like just be kind be a good person look for opportunities to help other people out i think oftentimes in like prepper spheres it, like you said it can be very isolationist and I think there's something so valuable about finding ways to help other people out. When you do something for somebody else, you will feel more connected to them. Like that baker probably feels way more connected to you and probably will benefit because at some point you're going to throw like a birthday party for your daughter and you're going to need a cake and you're going to go to that place because now you know you know somebody there. Right. And, and so you start to build that community. Um, a couple of other ways that this can be used. One example is at one point, uh, you know, we live in an area where you take your trash out to the street once a week and a garbage truck comes and picks it up. And when I was going to put our garbage out, the neighbor was also putting their garbage out and my garbage was full, <laughs> uh, probably because we have young children and there's just a lot going on. Um, my neighbor's garbage was not. And he just looked at and he said, hey, by the way, if you ever have extra garbage and there's space in ours, feel free to to throw some in ours. And and to me, I was like, oh, thank you. And and we start we struck up a conversation. We started talking like that's just one other example of being able to use that principle of reciprocation. It's such a simple thing. I feel like it, in today in society, it's so easy to just ignore each other. Right. It might be a little bit uncomfortable to like reach out and do something like that. But it is such a simple thing to just say that quick like, hey, by the way, I just wanted to mention, I noticed your garbage can is full. If you're overflowing, like I've got some extra space, feel free to use my garbage can whenever. It's just not something that people think about. It's a muscle you have to work. And especially if you are introverted, if you feel socially awkward and striking up conversations is hard for you, it is definitely a muscle that you have to work out. You have to practice it. But at the same time, it is such a simple way to strike up a conversation and leave an impact because now your thought is that is a friendly person. That is a person who I can not necessarily trust. I don't know that I can trust them, but they've opened the door for me to get to know them so that we can build that trust. Otherwise, if it's just an awkward, you bring out your garbage can and they bring out their garbage can and you try not to look at each other and pretend like you're not there and you walk away, that adds friction to that that sort of ability to build that trust. Yeah, and it requires being deliberate, being a little bit thoughtful um, you probably won't just naturally, if you're not already doing these things, just think of it unless you put a little bit of effort into it. Another example 
is being able maybe you live in the US in like a typical suburban neighborhood and you can uh be like mow your neighbor's lawn and and maybe only part of their lawn, right? But it could be something as simple. You don't have to make it weird or awkward. You could even just say something like, "Hey, I'm I'm working on my fitness. I'm trying to get a certain number of steps in each day. I'm already out here mowing the lawn. Like, mind if I just mow part of your lawn too?" Or, hey, if you're ever out of town, by the way, just let me know. I'm happy to, to like, cover your lawn for the week while you're out or whatever. People can be weird about lawns. That's, you have, to, you have yeah. to be careful because some guys will be like, why do you want to mow my lawn? You don't think I'm good enough at mowing my own lawn? Is there something wrong with my lawn? You know, obviously, you have to be tactful about what it is you're choosing to offer, like, help with. But do, done right, it's just a great way. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Yeah. And, and it's just different than if you go to somebody and you say like, Hey, I want to be able to help you with something. Is there anything I can help you with? Right. It's going to feel weird, weird, but you can find natural ways to just offer something. Maybe you don't live in a neighborhood where some of these things apply. Maybe you live like in a high rise apartment building, but maybe you can go to your neighbor and say like, Hey, I broke something in my house. I bought some super glue, uh, and, and glued it back together. I've got a couple of extra packs of the, you know, it came with three bottles of super glue in a pack. Do you need any? Like, if you want it, here it is. If not, no worries. Oh, by the way, what's your name? I don't think we've met. And it's just one of those things that you can do. Um, on the other end, I think if you can, if it's just something simple and it's not too demanding, being able to go to somebody around you and ask them for help. Yeah. Is, is a really critical skill, not only because it's good to learn how to ask people for help. That's such a big part of community and resilience, but also because like some people do feel a little bit weird about accepting something from you, but they're more than willing to give. Yeah. And again, it just builds that connection. It builds that sense of reciprocation, that sense of community. So either way, the invitation is to look around you and find opportunities to at least practice that one principle. And in reality, like there's likely going to be a situation in which like you don't have to force needing someone's help and like make up a reason to ask for somebody's help, right? Like there are going to be reasons. There's going to be moments that you're out of sugar or you need a certain type of tool that you don't have access to and, and you're just asking, right? And then once you've built that initial connection, right? And you have somebody's contact information, you know, their name, or, you know, you are able to exchange a phone number, like, 
whatever it is, it's so much easier than to continue that give and take. If you asked for something the first time, asked for some help and received it, like make sure you're reciprocating that to them or at least offering and then looking for opportunities to do that in the future. Doing it this way, it's, it's maybe a slow build to a deeper relationship, but it's just a great way to open the door and get started. And even if it's not giving or taking, even if it's not offering help or asking for help, um, you don't have to like complicate it, right? You don't have to force it. It's always great to just introduce yourself to somebody, especially if it's a neighbor. You don't usually need an excuse to just say, hey, I realize we live next door to each other. We haven't met. I thought I'd introduce myself. My name is Corey. What's your name? Great. It's good to meet you. Um, you know, I'm sure I'll be seeing you around. And just even that tells the person, hi, I'm friendly. You don't need to be afraid of me. You don't, we don't need to have any more awkward glances. We can now wave at each other in the hallways uh, of the apartment building when we pass each other or as we drive by or whatever, and then, and then start building from there. Yeah. I, I, I love this conversation and this is just one principle, right? Or one aspect of community building, but I think it's a good one to start with a couple of other rules of thumb, just to keep in mind, we've talked about food, water, and shelter and if you're thinking about who you should network with the most in regards to food, water, and shelter, it should probably be the people that are in closest proximity to you. It's great if you have a great friendship with somebody who lives several states away or on the other side of the country. But when it comes to food, water, shelter, those are things that like somebody who lives far away probably won't be able to help you much during your time of need. Those are the kind of things that you need to to have a network within close proximity when it comes to things like, like a knowledge base, right. And having people that you can ask certain questions, if you need help with this or that, that's usually where you can go broader. Um, so instead of like Googling the answer to like, how do I do this one thing? Maybe you find a certain online forum where there are people who talk about that and, and you can start to build like uh, you could call it a community where you have people you can go to or or find answers on certain things with. And that's just one approach. But again, as you're thinking about uh, what your actual needs are and each of these pillars, that gives you an idea of you don't really need to know somebody who's giving you some uh, advice or an answer online. You don't need to know and trust and rely and blah, blah, blah. You just need to know enough about them to know that they're credible. Right. But when it comes to food, water, shelter, having somebody in close proximity that you could rely on, you've got to know and trust them enough that you can really rely on them. Yeah. Well said. So let me give just one example that's kind of in between. Um, Corey, you know this. I haven't mentioned it on the podcast, but... Uh, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I, we sold our home. Um, we live, we moved in with my in-laws. We've been living there ever since and trying to save up to the point where we could build a home. But uh, the market is crazy right now and building a, a home is not cheap. And so in order to build a home, uh, we decided there's just a lot of things we would have to do ourselves. 
And you know this better than anybody because you've been helping me. Still have my work boots on from doing it today. Yes, we have been framing uh, my house. And you're not a framer by trade. Neither, neither am I. We've got some experience. We've helped each other with some things in the past. But I knew going into this that there were certain things we were going to come up against that I would have no idea how to do it. Right. So there is somebody who used to babysit our kids and uh, she's now married her her husband uh, it no longer is but he used to be a framer for like five years he did framing so i knew him enough and knew enough about him that i knew i could trust him if i if i made kind of a deal with him and i said hey listen i'll pay you a little bit each month if you will just be available to answer questions I have, you don't even have to come help us. It's just like, I need to be able to send you a message and get an answer back from you. And so I struck up this deal with him and so far it's worked out great. And so it's just awesome that I'm like, here's one way of doing it. Here's one example of, I have a need. I've got enough of a network. I've built enough knowledge and trust about somebody that I can rely and make this commitment with them and it's helping me to do something that's allowing me to be more resilient than I would be otherwise. Great example. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. And I think there's with, with that example of building the house, there are a lot of different um, aspects to that that are built around the community piece, right? You know, whether it's the, the fact like you have uh, your father-in-law's friend that's coming to help every once in a while as well. Um me helping you, right? Later, you're going to help me. Kind of just this spoken agreement that we have. Reciprocation. Reciprocation. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, there's um, there, there's a lot to it, I think, that fits that example perfectly. With all of this, um, I want to introduce the idea of mutual aid um, because it fits perfectly with what we've been talking about here. We're not going to go super deep into it. Um, we're going to have an entire episode, multiple episodes on mutual aid. Um, and what it is and how to get involved and all that. But I thought it would be good to bring up here. We've talked about, you know, this idea of being able to rely on each other um, to get the help that we need, right, to, to meet our basic needs. And this idea of trying to start building a community of kindness where you do things for each other, not because you're forced, not because uh, somebody, you know, requires it for like a job or a tax benefit or anything like that. You do it because, I guess, number one, it's the right thing. Um, number two, because you know that being involved in something like that offers you protection as well. Um, mutual aid is ordinary people coming together to help each other, right? Uh, in a way that you don't have to rely on the institutions, the governments, and, and the things that we currently usually rely on for our well-being. You think about the bureaucratic red tape that comes with institutions and all of the rules and the time and the processes, and um, it can be pretty burdensome, especially when we're talking about responses to think to emergencies. Um, you know, I think of examples like there's the famous um, Donald Trump throwing out paper towels to people in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, right? I don't know if you 
saw that. It was just like this famous imagery of like the president of the United States going to visit people in need and like tossing out paper towels, right? And that wasn't what they needed. They were giving each other what they needed. They came together, right, to help each other in this massive crisis they were experiencing. Same thing with like George Bush um, congratulating FEMA, telling them that they did a heck of a job in response to Hurricane Katrina, which was, of course, a disaster, right? The response was terrible. FEMA is this massive organization, right? All this red tape and approvals and all this stuff to make anything happen. While they're going through that process, meanwhile, the people are helping each other. And by the way, there's a great book called um, A Paradise Built from Hell, which we talked about in our last podcast. I think we did a, a whole episode on it. Um, the author's name is Rebecca Solnit. It's basically the idea that after emergencies, people are more likely to come together to help each other than to take advantage of each other. There's all these stories of Hurricane Katrina and the way that people react to that and the looting and all this stuff, which while there was some of that present, it was grossly misinterpreted or misrepresented in the media. And really what was happening was people were, were supporting each other and helping each other survive. So anyway, mutual aid. Hold on, let me just interject for a minute. Yeah. Because I think I love the idea of mutual aid and I know you're going to explain that a little bit further. Um, I do think there is a place for institutions. Sure. Right? Sure. The institutions often can help at a larger scale when needed. Sure. There are certain things like if you – like certain financial obligations or whatever where you need a certain degree of red tape in order to make sure you're not getting taken advantage of. Right. So all of that I think is just a caveat before you move on with mutual aid. No, I appreciate that. And the idea isn't to say that institutions are bad, Right. My purpose in saying that is that with collapse, specifically, institutions are going to deteriorate. The The idea, the um, just looking into the future, the trust that we have in institutions is, is going to lessen, right? The ability for institutions to respond is going to get, is going to be more difficult. And that red tape is going to become more and more um, in the way. In some ways, our institutions today do make it harder for us to prepare, right? It's it's virtually impossible to live completely off-grid, right? Or to live completely um, outside of like the societal regulations that are put on us. If we were able to do that, you know, some people would be much more resilient than they are now, but they are required to live under capitalism and go get a nine-to-five job and that sort of thing, right? So again, institutions, they are important and they do have their place. But mutual aid tries to say, okay, when those institutions either won't be able to help us into the future, in the future or where they're not helping us today, how can we make sure that we can just help each other? Uh, we were talking earlier about this idea that like the no trust, rely, commit, it's all messed up in society right now. And a large part of that is because of the way that our institutions work. My food comes from across the world, right? I don't, uh, it, it doesn't come directly from my own community. And it's not necessarily the institutions are prohibiting that, but they are making it quite a bit more difficult to do. Um, so, yeah, mutual aid says, how can we help each other uh, and, and make sure that outside of those institutions, 
we're able to provide for each other where needed. So what mutual aid is not is charity. I think a lot of people think of mutual aid and charity as synonyms, um, people who don't understand the differences, and there are a lot of differences. So charity uh, typically comes from a charitable institution, right, where donations are received, uh, whether it be money or food or other types of donations, and then it is bestowed upon somebody, and usually that's conditional. So you prove to me that you need this by filling out these forms and going through the red tape, and I will double check and make sure that you're actually worthy of or, or deserving of this, and then I will give it to you, and you will go away, and then you'll come back when you need it again later, perhaps. But that's not how it works in mutual aid. Um, it's not someone who is considered the haves just giving to the have-nots, and it's this one-sided thing. Mutual aid is reciprocal, right? You give where you can, and you receive where you need. Um, you may not be giving the same thing that you're receiving. You might be giving of your time and energy and in return receiving something that you need. And it's also not tit for tat. It's not a, there, again, there's not a ledger where it's all being written down. It is a group of people that come together and provide for each other without, at least the aim is to do that without any sort of condition. You don't have to check and and write down and fill out forms and make sure that everybody's saying who they say you know, they are who they say they are and they actually do have the needs that they say that they have. Um, an example of this um, here locally a couple of years back, I saw a post on Facebook where someone said, "Hey, um, I've put a fridge out on my front porch, and um, I've put some food in there. If anybody needs food, like I don't want anyone to go hungry, please feel free to come by and grab grab something from the fridge if you need it." Oh, and by the way, anyone who would like to contribute, feel free to just come by and, and add food. If you have some excess, go ahead and put it in there. And I, I believe that's still going to this day. And I believe they always have more food than is being taken out. Sometimes they don't have room for more because there's enough people who are giving. But there are also plenty of people who are coming by and are able to take from that if they are struggling to purchase groceries. I also want to mention... Mutual, or mutual aid is an ideal, right? It, people who engage in mutual aid are still people, right? They are still flawed. It's not a perfect, uh, it's not a, it's not carried out perfectly, but it is, uh, it is something that you can get involved in locally. You can, it's a great way to build community with other like-minded people who are spending time and energy and effort to help each other and who may also be in need of help as well. Check, you know, you can Google my city plus, you know, mutual aid networks. You can find ways to get involved. Um, you can find ways to contribute or if you're in need of help to be, you know, to, to receive help as well. Um, but I definitely, like I said, we'll go into this a whole lot deeper, but it's a great place to start if you're looking for a sort of wider community effort rather than just focusing on like building relationships with your neighbors. It's a direct way to get started with helping build up your community. I love that. And I think that it really does go hand in hand. It really, this episode, as we're talking about sparking community, that idea of reciprocation is so important. And I think that's what mutual aid is all about, right? Finding ways to kind of strip away the bureaucracy, the hierarchies that exist, and just like, as a community, find ways to help each other out. One thing that I want to state with this is 
we talk about this in a way that it could be construed as like, oh, we just do these things and all of a sudden we have this perfect little utopia in our area. And there are always going to be some difficulties, some nuances. There will probably be people that you shouldn't trust. And that's why it's so important to first get to know people to a degree that you know how much you can trust them so that you know whether you can rely on them or not. You likely have some neighbors that you're like, I know, I, I, I cannot trust that person. And that's totally fine. I think there's also cases, you talked about the person putting a fridge out on their porch, offering food to whoever needs it. And I think in 99% of cases like that, it's going to go great. I think there will be the one person who puts the, the fridge out on their porch, leaves some food out there, and somebody comes and like smashes the food and, and graffitis the fridge and just is, is a bad actor right. situation. And so it's good to be aware that those kind of things can happen. I think it's good to just have, have a certain degree of optimism that like people are good. It, depending on what you know about your area, like it's, it's more likely than not that everything's going to work out just fine. And sometimes you have to give a little bit of risk, right? Put yourself out there a little bit. Um, there's a chance that you go offer some tomatoes to your neighbor and they scream at you for some reason. Right. But, right. but the chance is very low. So I like these ideas because it's just a good way to start small and, and kind of ease your way into community. If you go look online at like, what are some ideas for how to build community in your neighborhood? You're going to see things like throw a block party and like start a book club and do all these things. And those are great. If you're an extrovert and you have the energy and time to go do all that, awesome. But if maybe that's not your situation, at least start in some of these small ways. Start to build a little bit of a community. And whether things go really bad for you and you need to rely on those people or not, it's just going to enrich your life anyways. Agreed. I think that is super important. We are a social creature, right? Just even if you're if you're introverted, excuse me, introverted or socially awkward, I, I describe myself sometimes as socially awkward, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't mean that you are born to be alone, right? We in general are happier when we are able to communicate with other people, when we are able to rely on other people to socialize and just because you feel like you may not be good at it or it gets you outside of your comfort zone to engage in it is not a reason not to do it. Push yourself a little bit. And I think, like you said, you will find that it enriches your life. Um, do it carefully, right? A big part of this is is the trust factor. Don't go beyond what, uh, what you should as far as trusting people. But um, at the same time, we can't curl up in a ball and isolate ourselves because we're scared of, of putting ourselves out there and finding the people who we can and should trust. <laughs>